Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice, calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Kyle Pietrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly. Uh, today we are going to be talking with Dr. John James, and uh, Dr. James is the Associate Professor in the Department of Education and the Director of the Institute for Catholic Education at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, he's had 31 years of experience in Catholic education. He served as a high school teacher, department chair, principal, as well as president of a K through 12 uh, school system. And he's been at St. Louis University now for about 18 years. So John, welcome to Follow to Lead. Thank you, thank you both of you. John, we're so glad you could join us on the program uh, today. And as we begin our time together, we'd like to learn a little bit more about your background uh, and especially why Catholic education has been in such an important part of, of your personal and professional life. Sure. Um, I, I guess it uh, starts with my upbringing. I guess it's kind of an atypical upbringing given today's situation, but maybe um, very, very similar to many people in the past. I'm the youngest of 10 kids. Uh, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, my house, my the, the back fence overlooked uh, the Sisters of Mercy convent. Um, and then my my parish school and parish were like a half a block away. Um, so again, I, I know I'm not that old, but I know this sounds crazy that I would walk to school, okay? Uh, and I would be able to go home from lunch from school uh, to have lunch with my mom. Um, so from a very early age, came from a big Catholic family and literally and metaphorically was surrounded by the church. We had a Catholic girls high school over my back fence, the, the parish, the parish school a half a block away, another convent just around. So I was literally uh, formed within this whole uh, Catholic experience. Uh, and it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. Um, but probably my, my greatest uh, transformational experience happened when I went to a Jesuit high school and I got uh, destroyed for life by Father Maholsky in my, my freshman year. <laughs> well, that sounds good. And uh, so you're an Omaha guy? Yep. Excellent. And uh, from there, what, uh, what university did you go to? Yeah, sure. Well, um, actually, if I could talk a little bit about Father Maholsky, because I'm sorry, I probably should have shared that. Um, I think this speaks to the power of Catholic education. So obviously I had a great formation in my family and the whole bit, but uh, I was going to high school in the 1980s and the 80s was all about Wall Street getting ahead. Uh, and at the age of 13, I had figured out how the universe worked. 
Um, right. So uh, I'm this cocky young guy um, going to Creighton Prep. Why did I want to go to Creighton Prep? Well, they just won four state championships, uh, state championship in football, basketball, baseball, and soccer. Uh, our new bishop, Bishop Maloney, was a graduate of Creighton Prep. Um, the mayor was a graduate of Creighton Prep. The police chief, the dog catcher, was a graduate of Creighton Prep. So as a 13-year-old, knowing how the world works, this clearly was the ticket to the future. So I and a bunch of other cocky 13-year-olds arrive at Creighton Prep, and Father Maholsky, first class, theology class, um, said, why are you here? And we said, well, because we wanted to go to the best high school we possibly could. Why? So we could go to the best colleges. Why? So we could get the best jobs. Why? So we could marry the best wives and have the best houses and have the best careers. And then he said, and send your kids to the best schools. And we said, yeah. Do you see how ridiculous this cycle is? So why are you here? And while you're thinking about that, let me tell you about St. Ignatius of Loyola. And that destroyed me. That just shattered my paradigm. And so from that experience on forward, um, experiencing um, the Jesuits through, mediated through the person of Father Maholsky, mediated through Father James Brown, who is the director of youth and young adult ministry in Omaha, uh, that was like my finishing school, and that convicted me for life uh, about the importance of faith, the importance and centrality of Catholic education, uh, and really started that whole seedbed of my passion for Catholic education that has become my life work. So I, I guess that's a long story of saying the power of the teacher in the classroom uh, in terms of transforming souls, in terms of proposing a completely different narrative than what the larger society is offering. John, I share that background of being destroyed uh, by the Jesuits uh, <laughs> as well uh, during my time at, at Georgetown. I had just some game-changing uh, Jesuit professors, many of whom became mentors, You know, baptized our kids, married me and my wife. I mean, just tremendous influences on my life about just yeah, truly what matters um, on this temporal earth, right? And um, yeah, I mean, you're never the same after some of those. I mean, I just get goosebumps thinking thinking about it. I mean, it's truly, you know, I wish everyone could have that type of, of teaching and mentoring experience, you know, through Catholic Ed. Yep. Well, and you picked up on a key point. That, that's another big passion of mine. Having experienced that, you desperately want other people to have that experience. It breaks my heart that so many people are growing up in um, families that are that are shattered, that, that families that are uh, impacted by poverty and um, drugs, and, and all these other challenges. And in many cases, it's the Catholic school that is the sole bastion of stability, is the substitute for all that, uh, which raises the Catholic school educator to this penultimate level of, of significance. And, and what, a, what an amazing opportunity. And then it pains my soul uh, that we have to operate within this, this market economy, uh, and we have to collect tuition uh, where, you know, I, I had an interview with uh, Maria Radio in Belgium, and, you know, they, they asked me about how the Catholic school system works in the United States, and they said, wait, people have to pay tuition for this? And so I had to go through and explain, yeah, unfortunately, we're right up there with, with China and Cuba and North Korea having a 
but I better stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to guess that that this passion kind of helped to fuel uh, the Institute of Catholic Education that you uh, that you are directing. And uh, I was able actually a couple of years ago to participate with you in the Secondary Schools Academy, and it was a, a wonderful experience. Could you kind of talk about uh, the Institute and what this is doing for Catholic educators today? Sure. It's a, it's a wonderful story. So, um, you know, I was a Catholic school educator, as you said, uh, a teacher, department chair, principal, president, uh, and had earned my doctorate and was looking for, for doing something different. And it was actually uh, Tim Cook at Creighton who encouraged me to go into higher education. It just worked out very well. I ended up at SLU uh, and I arrived at kind of a, a sleepy little program because SLU had been doing Catholic education for well over 100 years. Um, they helped educate the sister teachers. There's so many religious orders that are headquartered in St. Louis. And a lot of times the religious orders would have their, uh, their sisters and their um, seminarians come to St. Louis and then during the summertime would take coursework. So SLU had been educating Catholic educators since the early 1900s. Uh, and then in the 1980s, the Catholic bishops put out a call to Catholic schools saying, hey, we've got a lot of lay people that are moving into the administrative positions. We're calling on Catholic colleges to, to do that. So SLU's program for training uh, lay people in educational administration started in the 1980s. And I, I arrived at SLU uh, 2002, and it was a sleepy little program um, serving a handful of people in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Um, and, and the expectations were, yeah, if you just serve a, a handful of people, that, that's wonderful. What I quickly discovered over time is there is a huge, enormous need for formation, not just intellectual training, not just a public school certification program, but formation in the faith for lay people. Uh, and as a result of that, um, we branched out uh, our Billiken Teacher Corps, which has a, a handful of, of uh, recent graduates from college living in community. We, we, we took over a convent in South City, and we have them living together in community, and they make a commitment to teach in an urban Catholic school um, and, and earn a master's degree for free. That's part of a larger national network that I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, and then I got requested from the superintendents of Region 9, which is Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, saying, please offer your program to us. Um, and so we started doing that. I, I think what's really unique about our program is there are a lot of Catholic colleges, a lot of colleges offering a lot of different degrees, right? And then there's a lot of Catholic colleges that are offering a lot of degrees. But in many cases, because the 900 pound gorilla and because the money is in the public education side, the programs are really public education preparation program that maybe have a Catholic class that maybe have, you know, some sort of uh, Catholic piece uh, put in. Um, some programs do have Catholic cohorts and that's, that's wonderful. What's very unique about our program is that we believe our faith is sacramental and incarnational. God could have brought about salvation of the world any way he wanted to, but he chose to become human. He chose to become one of us and walk amongst us. Um, so certainly um, learning can happen online. We, we all know that. But formation in the Catholic context, I think, is incarnational. It involves human direct contact. So what makes our program unique, I believe, is we partner with dioceses and Jesuit schools, and we bring faculty to cohorts and many cohorts of students. 
And I think that's been a, a tremendous success. So we grew from, you know, a handful of students that, that we had when I first started off in one degree program. Now we have nearly 100 students in five different degree programs spanning uh, the states of the central southern United States uh, in that sacramental incarnational format. Um, now, COVID has been the big disruptor, uh, and so obviously uh, we have to put an asterisk by that, um, but that certainly is our philosophy, that's our intention, that we're about formation and a complete Catholic leadership program in a cohort, not an add-on, not a veneer. It is what it is. <laughs> One of the things that you and I talked about before we started the recording was uh, the need for uh, educators to really kind of have uh, an exposure to the Catholic educational timeline, because right now we sort of are in this panic mode. Could you explain a little bit uh, to our viewers and listeners what this educational timeline uh, could be all about as the Institute continues to form? Oh, sure. And, and I, I think this might be another uh, very unique aspect of our program. Um, so one of the consequences of having a public school program and then adding a Catholic class on spirituality or something, which is wonderful, it's better than better than nothing. Uh, but I think you get the public school narrative, which basically starts with the colonies and then how wonderful the common school movement was, and then all the way on up to the present, hearing nothing about the evolution, the development of Catholic schools. Now, in many Catholic leadership programs, certainly they, they talk about the history of Catholic education. Um, my, my only quibble with that is usually it starts with the beginning of the country, which you might say, well, that, that seems eminently re reasonable, right? Um, but unfortunately, the narrative becomes what, what's typically referred to as Catholic historians as uh, the Irish immigrant narrative. It goes something like this. We arrived here as poor, hated immigrants, and we scratched and we clawed and we built this Catholic school system, and it's an amazing thing, and usually reaches this climax, 1965, and then there's a dot, 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 um, what's happening? Uh, or it's called the generation of crisis, right? Which doesn't leave one with a whole lot of understanding of the, the larger picture. So I think that's a wrong narrative. I think the, the larger narrative is salvation history. And so in our foundations of Catholic education, we place Catholic education within the larger story of salvation history. So here's the cliff notes of salvation history. Old Testament, People follow God, things go well, they get fat, stupid, and lazy, and everything goes to heck in a handbasket, right? And that story repeats over and over again, right? It, it, it continues to repeat here all the way up to the present. So rather than starting with um, the United States in terms of the Catholic educational narrative, um, we begin with, uh, with a guy calling a bunch of disciples in Jerusalem and then how it found its way into the English-speaking world. Now, we cover that pretty fast. We have to cover about 1,500 years pretty quickly. Um, but I think there's a parallel today. In fact, I would argue, I think we're repeating the 16th century. Um, so if you understand the Reformation, the rapid change in economics, the international global incidents, um, I think to really get an insight about what's going on right now, if you study the 16th century, you'll have a great insight. So I draw a parallel to if you're in England in the 1520s, it's kind of like Catholic education 1965. I mean, this is awesome. The king is Catholic. All the schools are Catholic. Um, everything is wonderful, right? Uh, and then things happen very rapidly. So if you go from 1536 to 50, 60 years later, 
it parallels pretty nicely with 1965 and our present situation. So for that same timeline in England, you went from all the schools, all the universities being Catholic, uh, to the late 16th century, if you were a Catholic family and you wanted to educate your kids in the Catholic faith, you could lose everything, your property, your home. Everybody who works for you would be homeless out on the street. You could not travel more than five miles from your house. Um, so, so it makes the current situation um, pale by comparison. So why do I tell that story? Well, because there's that event. And then for 250 years, let that sink in, 250 years, the Catholic Church survived in secrecy, in clandestine behaviors, um, priest holes, priest hiding, uh, church within homes, uh, schools in homes, uh, an international Catholic educational system set up by Robert Persons, who, by the way, are first bishops educated at high risk to their family. Um, the Carroll family risking everything to send their children overseas to a Jesuit school established in the 16th century during this time. So by presenting this larger narrative, I, I guess this is a long way of saying, focusing on just the United States is like celebrating the resurrection without any kind of cognizance of the passion and death of Jesus Christ. So if you take a look at salvation history, you get the proper perspective that for 250 years, the church was hanging on by a thread in this English-speaking world. Now let this sink in. The most powerful empire in the world had as its official policy the elimination of Catholicism, right? And so for 250 years, we struggled with that reality. And then the whole Catholic educational system here in the United States was built out of that. Um, so I think that provides a proper context. And, and some of the responses that I get from students from that, that class and others, a couple of really interesting ones, I had no idea of the history of Catholic education in the United States or that earlier history. It caused me to talk to my grandmother and ask her if that was the case. And they said, absolutely, that was their experience of the early uh, 20th century and the whole bit. Um, the other thing they typically respond is the program has been transformative, uh, that they felt a, a complete formational program and transformative. And the other thing that, that really heartens me is they come out on fire with a passion and with an enthusiasm. Because rather than focusing on, oh, how bad things are and Catholic schools are closing and enrollments are low, when you put it in perspective of the 16th century, you go, man, we've been here before. We've been through far worse. And now's the time to buck up, little camper, because uh, this is when the saints are made. And this is a saint-making opportunity. So, John, uh, in other words, we're coming out of another dark age, right? And, <laughs> and there's a renaissance I'm hearing on the horizon. We're already seeing, I think, some, some evidence of a rebirth in, in pockets of our country uh, in Catholic education, which is very hopeful and encouraging. Uh, that aside, um, this last year plus now has been a particularly dark time uh, for our country and our world. And, and I think there's no doubt in your mind, um, it's been a very challenging part of your your career and in, in, in what you're doing leading this institute at, at SLU. There's been issues of racial tension uh, to the pandemic, um, to a very hotly contested presidential election in our country. What's been some of the hardest adjustments for you in your role uh, at SLU related to the last 12, 13 months? 
Um, you know, actually, I'm going to kind of avoid the question because it's been easy for me. Um, I mean, I'm a university guy and uh, I, I switched to Zoom. Uh, I just want to focus on the Catholic educators. And I think sometimes we forget about this now that we're a year out of it. But if we go back to March, many Catholic schools, we are hearing about this COVID thing coming and many Catholic schools had spring break. And what typically happened was, okay, teachers, spring break. Um, we're not going to reopen as normal. So maybe we're going to give you an extended spring break, but we're starting back on April 1st or March 29th, and it's go time. And we just have to figure it out. And Catholic schools did. And I think that's the most amazing thing out of the whole process. So uh, I've got an article that I, I published in the Journal of Catholic Education about adaptive leadership and how Catholic schools pivoted in all this. Um, and so I just want to give voice to some of the teachers. So I, I had two different cohorts, the master's cohort and the doctoral cohort. The immediate response was this enthusiasm. I, I think they felt that, you know, boy, this was crunch time and we just, we just got into it. We figured it out, right? Because failure, to borrow a phrase from a failure is not an option. So the, the Catholic school educators and the administrators, we figured it out, we got into it, and there was a great deal of enthusiasm. Um, by later on in the year, because it was kind of makeshift, there was some fatigue that kicked in, uh, a, a tremendous amount of fatigue. And I think there was a little bit of a celebration saying, okay, well, we pivoted in one week and we figured it out. And now we have the summer. Uh, and now we have to figure out what we did right, what we did wrong, what kind of, you know, substantial changes we need to make for the new year. And again, they did it. Um, so, and, and of course, you probably read, people can read the comparison of Boston, the Boston Catholic schools that just said we're opening, uh, and many public school districts didn't. Um, so again, I think we we really shined in that regard. So I, I think it would be uh, disingenuous for me to talk about how my life has been impacted. Uh, I just want to point it back to the Catholic school teachers, the administrators, and applaud them for the amazing job that they did and give them a shout out. Now, that having been said, um, I think it's taken a toll. Um, we are not designed to be automatons stuck in little boxes talking to people in a Brady Bunch way, right? That's not the way God designed us to be. And so I think there's an untold, there's a fatigue from doing all this work, right? There's a fatigue from totally revamping your classes and reaching out to students. There's a fatigue in, in having age-appropriate ways of educating six-year-olds, okay, which, which is beyond my comprehension of doing all this. But I think there's an untold fatigue of not having human interaction, of missing out on the incarnational nature of what education is, which is a soul speaking to a soul, incarnate with the body, in union with that body. And, and when you start disembodying that, and try to break up which God has created and what God has designed the system to work, there's, a, there's an underlying fatigue. And I think that's something that we can all relate to. Um, you know, we've all rolled with COVID, but everything seems a little harder. Everything seems a little bit more exhausting because we're not designed to be interacting this way. <laughs> That, yeah, such a good point. I know at uh, St. Michael, we were in school the whole year uh, this year. And when the students returned after finishing in distance learning last year, and I have to say that our teachers were exactly as you said, they didn't get a spring break. That was on the job training for learning how to use technology they'd never used before. <clears throat> but 
hearing the students as they came back in the fall, they were so excited, even though there were plexiglass panels between students and we were distant six feet and everything. They were in masks, but they were together. Such a difference, such a huge difference. Absolutely. It, it did take a toll, though. You're right. Putting all of that in, you know, our motto was pivot and pray. Yep. John, as you work with Catholic school faculties and teachers uh, in, in your program, what are you seeing emerge as, as some of the greatest needs that they're having uh, right now um, in ministering in our schools? Um, I, I guess I'd, I'd have to say that uh, um, being on the whole, all the things that I just talked about, there's, there's a fatigue factor involved in that. Um, because we're designed to be incarnational and communal, there isn't that built-in support system. You know, I remember back when I was teaching in, in a Catholic school, and you're going full stop, you know, five, eight sections all day long, and then maybe coaching. Um, you know, I, I get it. I was out there working 12-hour days, but I was energized by the students. I was energized by the interaction with the students. I was energized with the interaction of my colleagues. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a, that's a huge challenge. Um, another challenge I think facing Catholic educators is the whole training system, right? Everything is built around preparing people to be educators and administrators in public schools. Um, this is something that I noticed and, and caught the genesis of one of our programs, our, our undergraduate population. Um, well over half of them are Catholic. Um, a third of them are coming from Catholic schools. And if they major in education, what were we doing prior? We were training them to be public school educators. So we created a minor in Catholic education. So we want them to get state certification. We want our people to be on par, having the same credentials, the uh, same you know, experiences and uh, as our public school counterparts, but really address those pieces of the history of Catholic education, the documents of the church on Catholic education, uh, how to be a disciple maker. What is the methodology of teaching the faith? Uh, as well as a number of classes on theology so that people are educated about the sacraments, Christian morality, and so forth and so on, and do it in a formation standpoint, which I think is the other challenge that, that maybe Catholic schools could articulate, maybe, maybe they couldn't. I, I think they certainly could articulate the fatigue, um, but I think there's another piece of that is not getting the proper formation, not providing for their spiritual growth. It's a slow decay. Um, and, and so we have people that get tired and then they're out of gas. Um, if one is properly formed and knows to continually go back to the source, which is Jesus Christ, uh, and, and to each other in community, uh, and if the formation is done properly, then yes, you will be tired, but you will also be re-energized and continue to be re-energized. Um, so I think there's there's a fatigue factor, certainly from the work and from the context, but I think there's a there's another kind of missing piece. Uh, your question was about needs, formation of faculty and administrators about being disciple makers. Uh, and I think this is tied up with the history of Catholic education. Because we are an immigrant people, there was always a question about, are Catholic schools good schools? And Andrew Greeley did a tremendous amount of research on that to show, yes, they are. But But in a sense, we still have this chip on our shoulder. We say, well, we have to prove that we're good schools. Um, we have to prove that theology is, is truly a discipline, just like math or physics, okay? Um, so there's that kind of academic heady mindset, 
uh, to the detriment of the heart and the hands. Um, and so I think huge need of formation of head, heart, and hands for Catholic school educators that, that maybe they wouldn't be able to identify. Um, but I tell you what, once they're in our program, they identify it and they're on fire to make sure that it happens in their school. So that's very exciting for me. One of the things that we're noticing, and you were referencing the whole idea of, uh, of comparing us to public education, and I think COVID gave us an opportunity to really shine uh, in our communities concerning the fact that for the most part, we were the ones still back in school while others were in distance learning. And there was a, a great deal of, of uh, attention given to us and interest by families uh, to come to Catholic school. But the, the, uh, the rhetoric has to be a little different in talking to those families. How would you uh, encourage those in admissions? And actually, any, we're all in admissions. I mean, the whole school is recruiting, let's face it. What are some key components that you think are distinctive in Catholic education that we could share uh, that would kind of overcome the uh, impediment of tuition, for example? Sure. Well, I, I think to use the business language, it gets to the value proposition. But before I get to the value proposition, I want to just get back to real fundamental basics. And that is calling people the way Jesus called people, right? Um, there's no scriptural evidence of Jesus saying, yeah, I've got this uh, three-year assignment. There's a sign-up sheet in the back of the boat. If anybody wants to sign up, you know, sign up there. The call was not made in a general way. It was by accompaniment, right? Jesus was amongst the fishermen. He was on the way. A uh, number of stories, Zacchaeus or on the road to Emmaus, it's always while doing other things and meeting people where they're at and understanding people and inviting. Um, so I think in this era, there's a tremendous opportunity, and I think we have to absolutely meet people where they're at and understand why they're coming to a Catholic school. So maybe it's really banal reasons. Well, we wanted our kids and, you know, and in person, that's wonderful. Uh, or maybe they're coming to the schools. Well, we heard you have great ACT scores or great, that's wonderful, okay? The challenge in administration and, and in teachers is to know that's fine. That's where people are coming for, but we plan on delivering a whole lot more. And I think the communication piece is a, is a just in time and a readiness. Obviously, you don't want to throw everything at somebody. In fact, you know, Jesus did the same thing. If they, the, the Last Supper discourses, he said, I'm going to stop here because I'm probably giving you enough right now, right? So we always provide, St. Paul had also a reference to that. I, I, I'm feeding you just what you can handle at this point in time. We feed them what they can. But fundamentally, it comes down to we're going to deliver on all those things. We're going to deliver on those things you want from us. In-person teaching, yes, we're a high academic school, but we hope you'll find that there is so much more that we're offering. Um, and, and maybe the first language is a sense of community, a sense of connectedness, right? And then on top of that sense of connectedness and the whole bit, uh, one can layer in. Um, what's really transformative is we believe that your child is not just a little um, capitalist uh, to be thrown into a capitalist society. We believe your child is made in the image and likeness of God, right? And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And this earth is not our ultimate destiny. Uh, so we have a divine imperative to support your child and to help your child grow to be a saint. Um, now, that's not the language that I would recommend, but that's what I'm saying the ultimate goal is, right? We're, we're about building saints. We're about building up the kingdom of God. Um, we're about uh, 
bringing people to Jesus Christ to be disciple makers. John, I'm curious of the counsel you'd provide a, a Catholic school leader, um, perhaps coming in new to an institution, um, and is inheriting a faculty that's all over the map in terms of where they are with their faith and their own apostolic journey. And as we know, you only have 180 days a year uh, with kids. And if you're in a high school, that four-year four year runway goes quickly. What counsel would you provide to that leader, uh, John, To because to, there's a lot of work to do on the faith side of the faculty. Right. And, and as you said, that's such an important ingredient and, and a differentiator um, uh, in our schools uh, to, to move the needle with the faculty on the, on the, um, on the piece of faith. Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I, it, it's difficult to give kind of generalities because context is everything. Uh, and there isn't a one size magic wand um, that fits all things. Uh, I think first and foremost, one has to start with oneself. Um, you know, I, I do do uh, consulting work for administrators, administrative teams. And one of the first things that I ask them to do is how is your prayer life right now? was your relationship with your wife? How is your relationship with your family, right? Because if you don't have those squared away, um, then good luck facing all the trials that you will face, right? So first, first and foremost, you got to make sure your house is in order. Um, make sure that you know kind of who you are, where you want to go. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, we talk about things coming up and I don't want to give advice here. There's kind of like, giving advice to General Grant about how to win the Civil War, right? Any way to win a war, sometimes you throw a battle to win the war. Sometimes you retreat in order to get higher ground someplace else. So I don't think there's any kind of quick answers um, to doing that, but it begins with knowing who I am and to understand the fundamental purpose of Catholic education as understood from the whole long salvation history from the history of Catholic education here in the United States, understood from the countless documents on Catholic education all the way up to the present is, we're about providing, yes, the highest quality education. In fact, that's required by canon law. But also, um, and probably more importantly, we're about disciple makers. Um, and we need to figure that out. And that probably begins with teacher formation because that's where the rubber hits the road. Teachers don't self-identify themselves. I'm not just a physics teacher. I'm a disciple maker. I'm not just an English teacher. I'm a disciple maker. So I think whatever needs to be done in terms of teacher formation to build that faith capacity within the school, which begins with a self-identification self of every member of that, that faculty and staff to do kind of that same thing, to come to that realization, where's my prayer life? Where's my relationship with my wife, my husband, my family, the whole bit? Um, and to first begin with myself, right? Pull the speck out of my own eye, but then very quickly and simultaneously um, work on being a disciple. And, and I think that's, that's a key. You know, one of the things I was thinking and going back again to this educational timeline that's kind of been a thread through our conversation <clears throat> right now, obviously, um, according to demographics, we're not at a, at a good place. OK, and uh, so in, in terms of where we are right now as Catholic educators within the American Catholic Church, what counsel or advice, uh, what encouragement would you give to Catholic leaders who are in the trenches in this current situation uh, right now? What would you say to them? 
Sure, I, I think uh, a number of really positive elements. Um, one, I guess, very generally, is it has to get as dark as midnight before the sunrise starts coming, right? Um, and so uh, if we look at the social science research, and I can point to all sorts of stuff, whether it be you know on the secular side, Putnam bowling alone, um, this loss of connectedness, this loss of social capital, we're not designed to be isolated. And COVID certainly has brought this. So um, I think we're starting to see, and the Gallup poll is re reflecting this, um, the sense of wanting connectedness and the sense of wanting a spiritual connection is, is really, really critical. Uh, in terms of faith development, obviously, you take a look at the engagement with faith tradition, there, there's been a long 50-year trajectory downward, not just Catholicism, but all faith traditions. In fact, Los Angeles time uh, over Easter, um, which, you know, it happens all the time, religious holidays, there's always a religious bashing article in the periodicals, came out that the growing ungodlinessness is a good thing for the country. Um, to, to that, I vehemently disagree. Um, but fundamentally, what it comes down to is we're designed to be communal. We're designed to be in relationship with God. Um, I would point to the research of Christian Smith and uh, St. Mary's Press, Going, Going, Gone. Well, Going, Going, Gone was very good in terms of putting it on the map. Um, but there's research by Christian Smith, which gets into the weeds about um, what is going on, what the dynamics are. So the encouraging things, it's really simple. Making disciple makers, kids need a credible model of the faith. They need to have a religious experience. They need to have a connection with the person of Jesus Christ, right? And they need to be engaged in the religious tradition. So I think that also helps to explain why Catholic schools are exceptionally good at that, right? Um, I, I just shared my story with, with uh, Father Maholsky, right? So the faith was mediated to me, certainly by my parents, certainly by my brothers and sisters, but the hammer on the nail was Father Maholsky and Father Brown. The same is true today. Human nature has not changed since Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. So I, I think what the, the, the reason for optimism is things are getting bad. And yes, human nature, things have to get as dark as midnight before sunrise starts coming. And people are starting to wake up, wake up to where this train is going. And that train is not going to a good place. And I think we know what we have to do. There's growing, growing body of social science research about what works. And it's uh, a credible model of faith that mediates that faith, a religious experience, and uh, engagement in the faith tradition. So going back to why it helps explain why Catholic high schools and Catholic grade schools are so exceptional about this, including middle school. Let, let me throw this down. The research is, is clear that around age 10 is when disaffiliation seeds start happening. So this is a call out to elementary school teachers and particularly middle school teachers. This is really critical. Uh, I, mean, I would just love to, to come in and, well, anyway, that, that's all. So middle school teachers, there's a huge opportunity for you. Incredible models of faith. So now let me shift to high schools. There's a long body of research about why Catholic high schools are so effective in fighting disaffiliation. And for a lot of ways, it's, it's been a mystery. I think Christian Smith has really demystified that, right? Um, a credible model of faith. Do Catholic high schools have that? Well, they should. Otherwise, your HR process is, is really screwed up, right? And many times, these teachers are not only teachers in the classroom, but they're coaching extracurricular. They're going on retreats. They're giving witness talks on retreats. So there's ample opportunities for credible models of the faith. The religious experience. Obviously, we, we can't control the Holy Spirit, but it's certainly more likely when students go on retreats. Most Catholic high schools have a retreat experience at least once a year, which opens up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do his work 
in the life of, of our young people. Engagement with the religious tradition. Um, well, most Catholic high schools, and if they don't, they should, uh, have liturgies regularly. They have the opportunity for the Sacrament of Reconciliation. They celebrate the liturgical seasons, right? Uh, so it's in the background that this is the faith, that you are engaged in the faith tradition. So I think Christian Smith's research helps explicate what has been a mystery from Andrew Greeley all, all the way on forward about why Catholic high schools are so important. And I guess this is a call out to administrators and teachers um, being a credible model of the faith, meeting students where they are, walking with them, listening to them as concerns are risen, right, to be able to dismantle them. That's the other thing is if you take a look at the research, um, the larger stuff, Pew talks about disaffiliation being a function of people drifting away. That's really not it. It's an accumulation of discrepant events, these things that don't make sense, and then there's not a credible model of the faith to disassemble them. Um, I mean, this is serendipitous by my own narrative, right? I was coming out of a wonderful Catholic family with a narrative, well, I need to be working on Wall Street, right? Because I'm no dummy. I know how the game. And a person, Father Maholsky, destroyed that paradigm. Uh, he took that discrepant event. Well, yeah, my parents are really faithful, but, you know, I want to make a lot of money. He decimated that. That's the power of the Catholic school educator. Happened all the way back in Galilee. It's still happening today. That's awesome, John. I have to share a brief anecdote about the power of the retreat uh, piece. Um, our daughter um, is receiving her first Holy Communion uh, in uh, actually a week from Saturday, a week from tomorrow. And uh, her entire grade, they received the sacraments together at their school, and they did a day-long retreat uh, just yesterday uh, off-site. Um, and she has been looking forward to this retreat for weeks now, you know, because I've gone on retreat. She hears me talking about him on the board of a retreat center. My uh, wife goes on retreat. So she's always had this idea of this retreat experience. And she, she just came home so on fire. You, you just the Holy, to your point, John, the Holy, you just carve some time and let the Holy spirit do his work. And, and that's part of that disciple making and investing early in our Catholic elementary schools, provide opportunity for your students to experience retreat. They can do it. You know, it can be a day long experience, you know, um, but really good stuff. Um, just my last question, John, is do you have anything on the horizon or in the hopper, uh, either as a scholar doing some writing or, or, or projects uh, at the Institute uh, coming up? Sure. That we well, could... well, actually, you responded to something I said, so I'm going to respond to something you said there about, about the retreats. Um, so if, if we go back to Genesis, there was a three-part alienation of man that's, that's demonstrated there, right? Um, alienation from God, alienation from each other, and alienation from nature. Now, it's interesting, there was a, a, Jes a German Jesuit post-World War II that wrote a book on loneliness, and you're thinking, wow, that, that must be a bestseller, right? Uh, but his take on loneliness was loneliness is a result of that three-part alienation. Um, and I think that is a core problem in the 21st century. We, are in, we, we say we have, you know, a thousand friends on Facebook, right? Um, to me, the definition of a friend is a, a person who will show up at your doorstep at 2 a.m. with 500 bucks, no questions asked, right? Um, so if you use that definition, you're lucky if you got one or two friends. Uh, so I think we're an incredible, lonely nation. Um, so, so what is the answer to loneliness? Uh, interestingly enough, it's just the opposite of that. Connection with God, connection with others, and connection with nature. 
So I think that also gives us an insight into how the Holy Spirit works on retreat. So retreats, typically, um, they involve connection with God. Go figure, right? That's the whole point of the thing. Um, Typically, it's done by a class or a group, like you said, with your daughter. Uh, and with teachers, you know, people who are significant in their life. So connection with others and connection with their community. And does it take place at school? No. It usually takes place at a retreat center with an opportunity for connection to nature. So again, that brokenness, which caused the brokenness originally in Genesis, the mirror of that is the solution to it. And I think it also gives an insight into the power of how the Holy Spirit works with retreats. It repairs all three relationships, relationships with God, relationships with others, uh, relationships with nature. Um, so you, you asked what's on the hopper. Uh, I'm open to the, to the grace of God, but uh, we've got so many things going on. I, I wake up every day excited about what's coming next. Um, our programs are expanding. Um, again, I mentioned we are a sleepy little program in St. Louis. We expanded into uh, Region 9, which is Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Uh, we've got inquiries throughout the whole Southeast United States. Uh, we'll probably be bringing Tampa Jesuit on board and, and other dioceses, archdioceses in between um, Texas and, and Florida. You can, you can figure out what, what's involved there. Uh, in terms of research, there's the, the NASBEX. Uh, I'm editor of the Journal of Catholic Education, uh, which is the only scholarly journal focused on Catholic education international reach. We've got downloads coming from around the world. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the NASBEX, the National Standards and Marks for Effective Catholic Schools. Uh, so I'm editing a monograph series on the NESBEX. Um, one just came out uh, on operational vitality that I authored, uh, but I'm editing the whole series. A number of my colleague scholars will be writing on those. Um, so I, I've got a lot of things on the hopper, and I'm just uh, excited about so many different things. Um, We'd I, love I to have it. you in Nashville uh, for our October DIA summit. Uh, I think uh, it'd be great uh, to, to get plugged in there. Sure. Love to do that. Any, any way I can help out Catholic education, because I'm all about advancing the mission. Well, how can people get a hold of you? What's the easiest way for them to, uh, is there a, a special website for the Institute, for example? Yeah, we do. We do have a website. Um, you can go to St. Louis University and, and type in uh, Institute for Catholic Education. Um, you'll see my mug and uh, my email. Uh, we also have a website there about the program. Um, but just reach out to me in emails. I mean, I, I think it's kind of funny, especially with my doctoral students. They said, well, well, can I email that person to find out about their Scott? They're a human being, right? Um, so um, don't be afraid of reaching out to people just because uh, they're so-and-so or whatever. Um, so certainly email, the website, the whole bit. Uh, happy to support Catholic education any way I can. Dr. John James, thank you so much. We really appreciate this time. This was so rich. And uh, I just want to second uh, Kyle's invitation. I'd love to see you in Nashville to be able to pick your brain and uh, have that time of interaction again, not only with, uh, with the two of us, but there's a whole bunch of people that would be there <laughs> that I know would really profit from your relationship with them. So anyway, Sounds thank good. you again for being with us. Thank you. And uh, for our listeners and for our viewers, uh, if you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast and be sure to leave a comment for us to kind of encourage us toward future programs. And at this time, we also want to thank our production interns, John Sampson and Alex Shire, along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Alsbach, for producing this podcast. May God bless you. 
We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.